don't be afraid. Lock the doors. Turn out the lights. And climb into bed. It's time for Hillbilly Dead Time Stories. Poltergeist stories have been made into several best-selling books and movies. Some, such as the classic Steven Spielberg movie Poltergeist, is loosely based on the subdivision built over top of Black Hope Cemetery in a Houston, Texas suburb. We obviously covered this in an earlier episode of Hillbilly Dead Time Stories. The Banishing was released in 2020 and was based on the poltergeist activity at the infamous Borley Rectory in England. With that being said, there are several poltergeist stories that never make it to the mainstream, but it doesn't make them any less terrifying. In this episode, you will learn about one of these, the Millville Poltergeist in Iowa. Not only was this story unusual in several aspects, but it captured nationwide attention towards the end of 1959 and the beginning of 1960. Wire services, TV and radio, and even Newsweek picked up the story. The disturbances occurred in an Iowa farmhouse in a small town of Millville. The home was eventually coined the Ghost House by a reporter and the name stuck. The farmhouse was at a dead end of split-level road in an area that was constantly covered with crows because of the proximity to the Mississippi River. The headline capturing activity started on Thanksgiving night in 1959. The home was owned by 83-year-old William Meyer. Normally a very active man, William was bedridden at this time with a broken hip. As it was the holiday, William had his bed set up in the corner of the living room so he could partake in the family festivities. William's wife was sitting comfortably across the room in an easy chair while his grandson Gene sat on the edge of the bed. As dusk settled, the family turned off the lights and prepared for bed. Within a few seconds of the lights being switched off, a very loud noise was heard from above, startling the entire family. The lights were immediately switched back on and William and his wife were shocked to see their grandson's face covered in a blackish, sooty sort of substance. The sooty substance had also settled into a fine layer all over the entire living room. William instructed Gene to get his father, Elmer, who lived in the adjoining farm. When Elmer arrived, he found his mother trying to clean up the substance with dustpans, which he described as a wet, gray soot. No one in the family could figure out what it was or where it came from. There was no damage at all to their wood-burning stove, nor were there any cracks in the stovepipes. The windows had been closed and there was no damage to the walls or the ceiling. Over the next several days, the incident was openly discussed with friends and family. Even some jokes were poked at Gene for how his face was covered in the soot. As Christmas approached, the event was practically forgotten. That was until December 16th. Again, Gene was sitting in the living room with his grandparents. As the time before, the lights were shut off. At this instant, there was a loud thud. 
Jean quickly turned the lights on to reveal that a flower stand containing a bowl of Christmas cards had fallen over and had scattered all the contents under William's bed. As the family debated what could have possibly caused this, William's wife watched as a glass of water raised off of a table above her head then promptly poured its contents onto her. As before, Jean went to get Elmer. Elmer, being a rational farmer, came to the conclusion that some type of vibrations must have caused this disturbance. He decided to test the theory by placing an egg on a lampshade and asking the others to closely watch it for movement. The family watched for approximately two hours with no movement before Elmer decided to return to his home. After Elmer's departure, Jean made the comment that everything else happened in the dark, why not switch off the lights and see what happens? Jean proceeded to turn the lights off, and within two minutes, the family heard several mushy splats. Once the lights were back on, the egg and several clumps of mud were found sticking to the walls. Though they were shocked, they did not send for Elmer. Instead, Jean and his grandmother cleaned up the mess, and Jean left for home to tell his father of the latest developments. The next day, the paranormal activity became so intense that it scared William. The family heard thunderous noises around dusk. William said it had sounded like ten men ripping boards off of the roof. This continued for 30 minutes. Mrs. Meyer started dinner only to be interrupted by a loud crash in the milk pantry. The family discovered that an old refrigerator used to store jars and bottles had been tipped over. When it fell, it damaged some milk separating equipment and a table loaded with dishes. This was an important incident because it was the first incident that teenage Gene hadn't been on the scene. He had gone on an errand, but his father confirmed that he did see him outside of the house when this incident in the milk pantry occurred. The elderly couple became fed up with the spooky turn of events and temporarily moved in with relatives in the neighboring town of Gutenberg. William would later tell two paranormal investigators that he would probably be dead if he had stayed. The relatives did not want them to return home until they knew what was going on. Their concern was not paranormal. The house was in limestone country. Their concern was the house could be swallowed up by a sinkhole opened up by the water. Elmer pointed out that there was a creek on one side of the house and a spring on the other side. A few days after his parents had vacated the premises, Elmer showed the house to a photographer. As they were in the basement, a huge rock dislodged itself from the wall and smashed a 10-gallon crock. Then, on New Year's Day of 1960, Elmer asked Clayton County Sheriff Forrest Fisher to join him on a thorough inspection of the farmhouse. The sheriff agreed, but made it clear that he thought all of this was hocus-pocus. On this day, Elmer, Sheriff Fisher, and three reporters walked through the house. As they did so, one of the reporters saw a bottle fly from a packing case and crash onto the concrete floor. The reporters all began to accuse each other of pulling a prank, but all denied any involvement. On Wednesday, January 6th, some of Elmer's friends planned to spend the night in the house. Among the men was Pat Livingston. Pat was a highly respected riverboat captain. That night, he was unceremoniously thrown out of his bed. He would later tell reporters, I'm no crackpot, I don't believe it, but it happened. Pat had gone to bed earlier than the other men, 
who opted to stay downstairs talking in the kitchen. Shortly after 10 p.m., before Pat had fallen asleep, he saw the chair beside the bed slowly start to slide away from him. It moved about eight feet, then tipped over. Pat assumed that some of the others had tied a string to the chair and moved it that way. All of the men denied this, and no string was found. Just as Pat began to settle back down, it happened. He was violently jerked from the bed to the floor. Pat offered to take a lie detector test. He said that he knew for a fact that whatever pushed him was not human. He said that none of the men in the house were big enough or strong enough to push him out of the bed that way. And besides, when he's grabbed, he grabs back. Young Gene spent the night that evening. He said that Pat thought that this whole thing was a joke, so he was more surprised than anyone at the events of the evening. By now, publicity involving the farmhouse was in full swing. Scientists, professors, and students from nearby colleges all wanted to investigate. There were also quite a few curiosity seekers descending on the once lonely farmhouse. Professors and students kept 24-hour vigils at the house with the highest tech equipment of the time hoping to catch proof of the poltergeist. The results were less than they had expected. No radiation, no cracks in the bedrock, and no major electromagnetic fields. By the time two psychical researchers arrived, one from New York and the other from California, the only disturbances were being caused by humans. When the outsiders were denied entrance to the house, they began to pound on the outside, making it impossible for the psychical researchers to conduct their research. Another group broke into the cellar. The sheriff was called to restore order. In the end, the research was listed as non-conclusive. They felt that there could have been other natural causes at work, but they also could not rule out poltergeist activity and pointed out that in almost every case, young Gene was present at almost every case of activity. And that like so many of these cases, Gene could have been causing the activity subconsciously. to take on a 